Hi, and welcome to the Soundtrack.Academy podcast, bringing you advice on soundtrack composition, production, and the music for moving image industry from professional guests. For links, resources, and all other episodes, check out the website at soundtrack.academy slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite platform and do me the huge favor of leaving a review. I'm your host, Johnny Armandri, and today I'm joined by Cy McGrath, a producer, sound designer, and composer who's worked in many areas of the music industry. A particularly interesting area of his work is the sound design that he creates for productions and live events alike. Those of you that have played the Broken Sword series of games will likely have heard his co-compositions and productions, and any theatre fanatics will have likely come across his work with Mind the Gap. Hopefully we'll get a slightly new perspective on music for media from Cy, coming from a production and sound design perspective, instead of uh, just a composition perspective. So hi, Sai. Thank you very much for being on the show. Really appreciate you being here. Hello, Johnny. So let's kick off with uh, how you learned to do what you do. Where did you start on that side of the that's, that's That's a big question. Because <laughs> first of all, the, 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 I think one of the questions is, what do I do? You know. Yeah. And I think there are many different things. So if I do a quick potted history of, of how I got into all this stuff, I was a musician first. Uh, so from the age of about 13 or 14, I was uh, playing in bands with my brother and some friends. Uh, so just a just a, a small band in the 80s. Uh, and we did quite a few gigs. Uh, that I think the main thing about it was that we were just a, a group of friends, a gang of friends that really that, that were really interested in music. We loved music. Uh, and that's kind of what got me into just music in general, really. Um, then... After that band had split up, I, I I was really into blues, so I started getting into. I was, I, in fact, I played in a blues band and a blues duo. Now, with this particular outfit, we travelled extensively, so we we travelled across to Holland and Belgium, spent about a year travelling around Holland and Belgium and Germany. Uh, then we uh, travelled extensively in the UK. Also went over to America a couple of times. Did a couple of. Um, Couple of small tours over there, nothing, nothing major, but just going out there and doing it, basically, and literally living that life uh, of a of a blues musician. Really, uh, I was playing harmonica. The other guy was playing guitar and singing. We also had a, a four piece band which we took out as well. And at the same time, I was doing that. It was kind of mid nineties, probably at this point. I, I I got into songwriting again. This was with my brother. So we 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 formed this songwriting team. Uh, we wrote songs together and obviously started recording them. And at the the, the first point uh, when we first started writing them, we were recording onto a four track machine. So this was like a, a an old Tascam machine, which, um, as you can imagine, was uh, for, I mean for us at the time was absolutely amazing. But it was still uh, something that I, you know I talked to my students about today, saying that we had to record onto three tracks, then bounce onto another track, then record <laughs> on two tracks, bounce that back on, the, and you know I, I say to them, can you imagine? Opening Logic or Pro Tools and just having four tracks to work with—it's you know, they 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 really can't comprehend how difficult it was to 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 to, to use it. But I think that that limitation that we had with that technology really helped to to push the creativity. And this, I feel this is something that I've taken taken with me quite a lot were th- throughout my career really, and trying to not I don't get I don't really get bogged down with too much technology uh it's it's really about what tools you've got at the time to make whatever happened needs to happen basically um so yeah so we got into songwriting using a four track to record everything uh i think it was 1998 i got my first computer and for me that changed everything in terms of recording it made it so much easier to start putting things like uh, effects and using dynamic processing uh and and i think at that point i really realized 
that my interest was more in the production side of things than actually the songwriting side of things. Right. Uh, and decided that this this really was a, the, an avenue that I really wanted to explore. I wanted to learn how to do it properly. And that's when I went to uh, Leeds College of Music. I started off doing an HND there, which was kind of like the, the, the old version of the FD course that they have there. And at that point, you then had to do a two-year top-up for the, for the BA course, which, again, for me at that point was... Uh, a, a bit strange because no one in my family had ever done a, a degree before. I was the first right. person to, to to kind of go down that route. I wasn't I wasn't even thinking about a degree when I went there. It was more about just getting an H and D. And in fact, it was more about just learning how to use recording studios, microphones, learn about the, the different tools that you, that you need to actually be a, a producer. Um, so I went on and did the the degree the last two years, and while I was doing that the the degree course. I was working with someone that I found, I worked with at college on a few projects and we decided, we both had the same vision that we'd like to open a recording studio and we worked really well together on uh, on quite a few projects at college. There's a guy called Ed Heaton, I don't know if you know, if you know Ed at all. Yeah. Um, you, you do know Ed. Uh, but <laughs> Ed and I worked on quite a few projects and we just got on really well and I think that was that was one of the, the key catalysts too was that first of all we had the same vision the second thing was that we re- just got on really well together so we worked for a couple of years while I was finishing my degree off to to, to actually set up a recording studio so that was kind of building it from scratch uh, that was getting bank loans uh, literally beg borrowing and stealing to get the get the thing off the ground um, and but while we were setting that up, we also set up a, a music production company. Now, I was obviously, at the, at the time, still going out and, and gigging as a musician. I was also working part-time. Uh, Ed was working in theatre sound design at the time with a couple of different companies. So we had, uh, and also I, I knew quite a lot of musicians in the in the Leeds music scene, so we had quite a lot of contacts between us to start bringing that working quite quickly. Um and I think we we actually started trading in nineteen no, sorry two thousand and four the end of two thousand three early two thousand and four, and part of our our business plan was to borrow money from the enough money from the bank so that for the first few months we could we could just concentrate exactly on what we were doing and not have to worry about anything else in terms of other work, uh, and it gives it gives a bit of a uh, a buffer really to to actually jump into the whole business bring the the contacts and the, the the people that we knew already and the work that we had already into the business and and took it from there really that was that's was kind of how we got got set up and uh, working and i think it was probably at that point after you know working as a as a musician working uh, sorry doing my degree and everything that was the point where i really really started to learn uh, about about being a producer about working with uh, other people that's probably one of the most important things was learning with other about working with other people yeah. uh, learning uh, learning how to mix properly so it gave you know it gave me the opportunity to really practice mixing and get that get the instant feedback from clients uh, which i think is is one of those things that's missing i think a little bit from the the curriculum curriculum in a lot of uh, music and technology degrees is that you know the students will submit a piece of work uh, and it's slightly different in the in terms of you know, if you're working with a client you will send that work you'll get some you always get some kind of feedback it doesn't matter if it's subjective or objective feedback that you get from them then you will act on that feedback send it back again and uh, and uh, and keep going till the till the client's happy basically yeah uh, as as you as you well know. 
But I find that with the degree work, people will work on a piece of work, they'll submit that piece of work, they'll get a, 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 a grade for it, and then that's it. It'll be put to one side and forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is there's a there's a, a slight problem here that that people aren't finishing work off or p- finishing pieces of work off properly and appropriately to 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 what the standard that it needs to be. So no one's ever actually so, taking it to that little extra that ex- little extra level. Everyone's always getting it to no, a point. No, and then... I, I, I mean it's a really it's a difficult process. And, and ideally, uh, I feel that students should be submitting their work for formative feedback before before actual submission. Yeah, yeah. Getting that formative feedback, which a lot. I mean, to be fair, a lot of students do, but not enough of them do that i don't think they realize the value of that um but it's but that's much more real world in terms of how you would uh, interact with a client and yeah. make sure that you, you know the, you've you've given them the, the the piece of work back they've got their notes that they're going to make on it they'll come back to you you act on it etc etc whereas that doesn't quite happen i think the, the students can very easily lose lose interest in what they're what they're doing yeah um so it's it's, it's a difficult one to, to call because if you wanted to to do that, it would obviously take a lot more time, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, and we'd be there forever with with a hundred students in a in a, in a cohort. Um, so it's it's a difficult one to to call, really. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where I I really started to learn how to deal with with other people. You know, working with lots of different bands, but not only bands. You know, we, we were doing quite a lot of production work for film companies, so we were we were writing things like music for corporate videos. We were doing jingles. We were working for um, TV companies. And just learning how to deal with those people, really, and learning how to deal with people in general, and being in a studio with with musicians and other engineers and other producers, learning how to unlock creativity, learning how to kind of develop what we call the uh, the, the the bedside manner, as it were, in a in a studio, how to talk to people. I think these are the, these are things that, again, in a, in music education, it's very difficult to to have. To get your to get the students into those really real life situations where they have to deal with with people a lot uh, to be able to learn those what, we, what I, would, I would say a more kind of uh, more tacit knowledge really you know the stuff that, that it's really difficult to teach but you can only really learn it from the experience that you have uh, and I think that's that's what you know for the first few years of being running that business and running that studio uh they were the the, the most important things that I, f- I feel felt that I learned as well as you know being able to yeah back to the original question how did you learn what you what you do um there's learning how to play musical instruments learning about the uh, the, the the equipment learning about the um the, the production techniques uh and technology and then I think it's all the tacit knowledge after that that's that's just as important as any of that stuff. I think mixing is one of the big big um, things that people struggle with, uh, and I find a lot of students, you know, from sort of even from first year, especially second year onwards, they're saying, "Oh, well, when are we going to learn about mastering? When you know, when are we going?" It's like, well, you know, you can't master until you can mix, and even by the end of third year, we're getting we we, we get quite a lot of uh, students that that are not ready. To be able to master and one one mastering plugin can screw up a whole mix yeah. uh, that you've spent you've spent so much time you know writing the piece arranging the piece recording the piece uh, mixing it and then that final one plugin can just screw the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting to get that perspective because a lot of a lot of the people I talk to obviously are composers primarily, so they're yeah. part of their process is you know you, you do, they do all the composition and mix and then they do their own quick master as well. Um, yes, but do you yeah. really feel that mastering should be left to the pros then? Um, 
Yes, I think it should. I think I think it's also it's not only just left to the pros, but I think it's also good at that point just to get another perspective, another set of ears on the on the on the music and on the or the sound design or the the overall final dub or whatever it is that you're working on. Because uh, you know it's very hard when you're involved in it in anything creative to be truly truly objective about it at yeah. the end of that process it really is difficult and and especially if you work in you know i've worked on lots of different theater pieces and i've been really lucky in the fact that i've often been involved right from the word go from a lot of uh, a lot of um uh pieces that have been devised uh you know so it's not like it's something that exists already it's something that's been devised some of these are, are quite avant-garde pieces as well and you know, right from the very word go with it, with the very first production meeting where uh, you all start talking about possibilities, right through to that that final product and that 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 first night show, uh, and it's really really difficult just to to actually sit there and be an objective member of the audience. In fact, you can't. It's impossible to be objective because you've been you've been part of that creative process all the way through and you've seen it develop and develop and develop, and actually just towards the end of it, you need someone who can come in and say, right, okay, well. This this is where you're at, you know. Let's let's get out of that little bubble that you've been living in, living in for the last however many months, yeah. Uh, and listen to it completely objectively, and that's I think as a as a as a mix engineer, that's really difficult, you know, because um, just just in terms of the music, are you working as a a music producer? Uh, you know, we spend so much time uh, looking at the minutiae of of the the mix itself or even an individual instrument and not even an individual instrument even going right into uh, tiny little bands of frequencies uh, within say a kick drum or a bass guitar or a vocal and 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 you know we're sculpting these frequencies so that all the different elements of the mix work really well together and then suddenly we've got to zoom out and be objective about a whole track yeah and I think that's a really difficult thing to do yeah you know, I find it really difficult still and I've been doing it for for years and years and years yeah I suppose because that you have the, um, the what do they call it the cocktail party effect with your hearing, don't you? Where you can you can your ears can zoom in on things where your eyes can't. And I That's suppose right, if yeah. you've been working on, like you say, working on a kick drum for a, for an hour, and then you play the whole yeah. track, all you're going to be able to hear is that kick drum. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and that's you know, one, one of the things for me is uh, when I'm mixing is I like to have lots of breaks. Yeah. And I've you know I think I think gradually as you as you work more and more in in whatever area you're working in, whether that's composition or sound design or or, or just music production and recording in general, you you start to develop your your processes as it were and my mixing process is always you know I, I keep it very separate from the recording process and uh, in, a, in a kind of nutshell it's I'll start with the drums make sure that the drums are sounding cool I've got a direction for the whole track but I'll, I'll get them sounding really good and then uh I'll have a break after that. That's that's my first point of, of having a break is get the drums sounding good. Then come back, you know, a little bit later on. I, what I like to do in my break is usually I'll have a cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> it'll often involve biscuits as well, I like biscuits. <laughs> but I'll also I also try to go outside as well and just try to recalibrate my ears because if you think you're listening to music from exactly the same distance all the time yeah. in in your in your uh, your, your speakers, uh, they you know they're usually so many a few feet away from you, exactly sixty degrees apart, uh, and you're listening to to sounds from exactly the same place all the time so it's i find it really good to go outside listen to things from different distances so you'll hear distant traffic much closer traffic and i think it's just a case of recalibrating your ears then go back into the session listen to the drums are they still sounding cool if they aren't it's great let's i can start you know in, 
uh, introducing other elements of the mix. So I bring the guitars in and the, the, or the bass guitar in first, make sure that's working with the kick drum, bring the guitars in next, um, and then have another break. And then the question that I always ask myself, and this is something that my students will tell you about, is, is, a, is something that I, I say they should always ask themselves, is the next time you go back in, the, the big question is, do my drums still sound as good as they did an hour ago? And if the drums aren't sounding as good as they did an hour ago, then it's not the fault of the drums, it's either the bass or the guitar at that point. Ah. And, and that then needs to be, that needs to be addressed, because the drums sounded great before. Right. So, I, so that, that's and I, and I feel that you know my my, my um, I suppose one of the, one of the, the big things for me about music is, is it really is about drums and vocals. I know we're not talking about kind of sound design here, but more in, more in terms of actual music, pop, rock, indie, whatever it is. For me, it's about drums and vocals. Right. And if you can't hear the drums, nobody's dancing. If you can't <laughs> hear the vocals, nobody's singing. And and it really does boil down to that for me. It really is that sort of simple, really. A great little, and, little snippet. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and but it is though, isn't it? It's all about singing and dancing yeah, at the end yeah. of it. Every, you know, and everything else, whether it's guitars or keyboards or banjos or euphoniums or stylophones, it just doesn't matter. All that stuff, all that stuff, really is just flannel on top of it. Sure. If we can't, you know, it's, it's drums, drums and vocals. Isn't yeah. it, you know? uh, maybe maybe I'm being too basic with it. But that's, that it kind of helps me think about it. Yeah, uh, and helps me, and and gradually as as I add more and more things into the mix, I keep going back, and then and yeah, once I, I might get some more keyboard parts in, some vocal parts in, uh, some brass parts, and that's do my drums still sound as cool as they did an hour ago? <laughs> and if they don't, you know, it's not the drums' fault. Other things taken and, away and, from it. Yeah, and it's and this is another thing where you know people will say, oh, I can't hear the drums, so I'll just keep pushing the drums up. But then you'll push something else up, then you push the drums up again. Yeah, then yeah. the vocal will go up, and suddenly everything's peaking out. Whereas if you can set your 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 level meters for your drums and leave them at that point, maybe even set the level meters for the vocals and leave them at that point. Everything else must work around them. And if anything's if you keep getting things that are pushing up and pushing on the meters, pushing them to the peak, then there's something wrong. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you done so, have you done much mixing on not top orchestral or soundtrack work as well? Uh, not a lot of orchestral work. Okay. Um, in terms of soundtrack work. Um, Little bits here and there. What, what do you think uh, the main difference is between sort of the soundtrack stuff versus the sort of, uh, the songs that you that you work on? I suppose song wise, uh, the way that we are, you, I mean, you're literally just working on the song. It might be that you're working on an album as well, so everything's got to work together. But with a with a song, it's all about the song, isn't it? It's all about the getting that song across or presenting that song in the best light possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make it, you know, and and the band maybe will come with different ideas. Uh, other people will come with different ideas. You might have some some ideas about it, and it's and it's about working together to make that song the best it possibly can be. Whereas when you're working with a soundtrack, you're not only working with the soundtrack. You've got soundtrack. You've got dialogue. You've got atmosphere. You've got sound design, um, sound effects, and everything's got to work together as it. But ultimately, I think with with soundtracks, it's about supporting a narrative. Uh, and if and if there certainly is you know narrative and dialogue going on, anything that's detracting from that, again, is just wrong, isn't it? Really. <laughs> so that that's how I would uh, I would see that, uh, and, and I think you know soundtrack is a is more a supporting thing, really. Sure. So if it's available to you, have you when you mix your um, soundtrack work, do you keep the dialogue in and then mix around the dialogue, or do you just mix the track I, with awareness? Yeah, I have done. The, I have done in the past. It's much. I think it's much easier. Um, to 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 approach that final dub with everything there, right? 
and think about you know the, the, the I think ultimately it's a bit like a song actually where the the balance of the vocal must must maintain its prominence all the way through the, the the track and i think it's the same with the soundtrack and when you when you hear bad soundtracks i've certainly you know i've i've, I've actually done the the soundtrack and the final dubs on a lot of student films in the past from yeah. the from the film school with their their master students and they've come into the studio with me uh, and done the final dubs and one of the big issues is often the the actual level of the the, the dialogue in there, and you, the, you know the level is, is jumping up and down all over the place. Where actually that that dialogue needs to sit there, just like the vocals in the track, and everything else really needs to work around it. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a few films like that where you're just hovering on your volume remote all the time, terrified you're going to drive the neighbours mental when something leaps out at you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and, it's, and it still happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. uh, and uh, you see it on some TV programs. Yeah, uh, where where it's just. It's I don't know. It just seems like a such a fundamental thing as <laughs> as someone doing a dubbing mix to to sit there and have that balance uh, and make sure that the all the vocal can be heard. You know, it's uh, I don't know. I've, I've just recently been watching the uh, the the new James Bond films with my son, fourteen year old son. Oh right. Uh, and and the I, I just found those absolutely amazing in terms of the. The, the overall balance, the subtlety of the music in them, yeah. uh, the, just the way that they they have been really sparse with the use of the themes in there and the the light motifs, uh, just just brilliant to watch. Uh, and then there's been other things where, like you say, sometimes something just jumps out for no, for no, for no reason, <laughs> and you think, has, has nobody noticed that before? <laughs> yeah. Surely, surely there's a quality control process that goes on somewhere. Yeah, it's easy to miss though, isn't it? I mean, you you think about a full length feature film and the amount of sound effects that there are in something like James Bond. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah. It's easy yeah, to miss definitely. one or two, yeah. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you are. And remember that links, resources and other episodes are available online at soundtrack.academy slash podcast. Now let's get back to our guest. So where did you, how did you first get involved in your, in your sound design work and where did your interest begin with that? Well, sound design work started uh, quite early on in our uh, our kind of studio music production business. Um, we started, uh, in fact, at the time, uh, my business partner, Ed Heaton, was working with Mind the Gap. So we already had a couple of jobs that we were working on with them. This was 2003, 2004. And we then got a couple of jobs working for uh, a company that was working with Westlife and Busted and they were making their pre-show videos that were going on their their world arena oh, wow. tours so they, so these were like these tiny little videos that were um they uh, for example the Westlife one was all the Westlife guys in cartoon form uh got, walking along the streets of Chicago uh walking along in the rain and uh they they want some kind of jazzy Sort of, I don't suppose, generic jazzy kind of music in the background. Mm. Um, so we created the music, and this company said, "Oh, can you do the sound design as well?" So it was, it was literally things like making sure that the the footsteps were completely in sync, uh, the sound of the city in the background. There was police helicopters and stuff going in the background, uh, and and we we kind of you know realized that it was raining. So we, we in the studio at the time we had a there was a painting tray in the back. So we filled that with water and we were stamping our feet in it <laughs> uh, and just just to make the sound of footsteps. And I thought, God, this is really good fun, <laughs> you know. Uh, and in fact, I'd, I'd listened to a, a a radio documentary about sound design, uh, and it was the guys that had been working on the David Attenborough film, and they'd been uh, they'd done the sound design for some 
I think it was snow leopards or some kind of wolves. I think it was baby wolves or something like that that were jumping up and down in the snow. And they were saying that one of the things that really stuck with me from this, again, this was must have been 2004, something like that. One of the things that really stuck with me was the fact that they they don't have a like a, a the, the microphone equivalent of a zoom camera. So they were zooming in on these 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 uh, like baby, I'm sure they were like wolf cubs or something like that, and they were jumping up and down in the snow. But they they, they didn't have they couldn't get the sound of them, so they couldn't oh, get wow. close enough. So they 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 were literally in the in the foley department. They had these little trays full of different powders and sounds. I can't remember the exact mixture, but it was something like a layer of cement, then a layer of custard powder, <laughs> then a layer of salt on top of it. You know, really kind of bizarre, uh, <laughs> bizarre and random bits of uh, of uh, of uh, like powdery materials, and they were just poking their fingers in in them and making the sound of what they felt would sound more like snow if a if a, a small uh, wolf cub was putting its feet into the snow amazing <laughs> and, and that was how they made the sound for it oh god this was this is really interesting yeah and gradually as more and more of that work came in i, I you know I, I just got more and more into it uh i think one of the one of my favorite things we did a, a short animation just a 10 minute animation where obviously there is no sound whatsoever with animation you know everything has got to got to come from from literally nowhere um, and that was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done. Where it was, it was in a house. It was about getting, you know, a, it was in a big kind of, it's like a, a haunted house type thing, and and even making sure you get in the the correct uh, the correct reverbs and the the ambience is right. Uh, I think I think we were working on something like I don't know between thirty seconds and one minute of, of sound was taken at least a day wow. to do that, uh, and 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 it was so intense but such great yeah. fun. Um, were you were you yeah, relying so, on sort of were you finding out about techniques that were being tried and tested or were you just making it up as you went along? Most of it, to be honest, was making it right. as you went along. Uh, and this is this is something that I, I still like to do. I like to try and create the sounds myself. I mean, obviously, you can go online and download pretty much any sound you yeah. want at the moment. But I, I'm, I much prefer to actually make the sounds myself. And especially if I'm working in with a, a, a theatre company, I'd rather use the actors and use use the actors and musicians within the company to try and create those sounds and have little sessions where we are actually, you know, getting them involved yeah. in the sound design and the foley and the sound effects. And actually it gives them much more of, a, 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 I suppose, an ownership of that sound as well. It gets them more involved. Uh, it's about inspiring that creativity and, and getting that creativity out of people. Uh, and it, and it you know, makes them much more, much more happy about the sound and where it's come from and it gives them a better understanding of it as well. Really? Yeah, that's great. I mean, do you um, since your ears have been sort of quite dialed into sound, then having worked in it, do you find that you hear sounds that you recognise a lot in different films and projects and stuff? Things like the Wilhelm scream and stuff. Yes, yeah. In fact, my son's my son's he's been studying media at school, and he's uh, that's that's one thing that he keeps pointing out to me whenever watching <laughs> the <laughs> Wilhelm scream. Oh, look, it's the Wilhelm scream. Yes, yeah, so that's that's kind of the first thing they've learned yeah. about. Uh, but yeah, definitely, um, certainly around the time. In the in the early two thousands, we were using a um, a Roland fifty eighty uh, XV fifty eighty for quite a lot of the sounds that we were using. So there's, there's some really good good kind of sound design sounds on there, as it were, just just for pads and textures. 
and we kept noticing this there was, there was one particular one called trying wins and this <laughs> this this just kept it kept popping up on all sorts of different programs and different films that around that time and it was obviously quite a lot of people must have had these this role in Dex V5080 but you do you, yeah you, you kind of notice different things and, uh, and and I think I think not only that you know I think um you, you can't help but just being I think you know as, as part of not only being a producer, but also being uh, someone who's, who has to analyse a lot of music, you can't switch off from that analytical mode yeah. as well. I find that that's one of the one of the hardest things to do, um, and especially when watching films. I, I did I studied I did some modules in film music when I was did my uh, my bachelor's degree, uh, and and at the time when I was studying that, I was really really into film music. Um, and like I said before, you know, just watch the James Bond films. And I love the subtlety of them. I like the. I, th- I think they were. I think they've done been done absolutely brilliantly. But then, one of my my prime examples of of something that that I, I really struggled with was uh, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, that was Danny Elfman and Tim Burton. So Danny Elfman did the music yeah. for it. But I don't know if you. I don't know if you're familiar with the film. But the uh, the the music is just relentless. <laughs> You know, and for yeah. for someone who's who's studied music and you know, I struggled to switch off the the analytical yeah. mode. It's just it's like a just a constant barrage of music to the point where I'm saying, just leave me alone. <laughs> let me, you know, I know how to feel at this moment. Just just let me let me let me have a moment of reflection. Yeah. You know? But maybe maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe the idea is that it it, it increases that maybe, tension. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I sometimes find that when there's the stuff that I think is really off, I kind of think. Have they maybe done that on purpose? Because you know, they are the pros, maybe, or maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, you know, I always sort of sit back and go, "Well, who am I to, to judge?" <laughs> yeah. Really, uh, it's, it's Danny Elfman yeah. for God's sake. But, uh, but it, it, I just found it. And again, uh, that was just me in analytical mode, which I, I struggle to get out of. Even when I'm listening to pop music and you know, driving along. In that the was car my next question. Do you find if the my... mix is bad, are you completely put off the song? I can right. be, yeah. The, the 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 one thing that I find unforgivable is when the vocals can't yeah. be heard. You know that that is just unforgivable. It really is because uh, you can sometimes you can get away with bad mixes, and you can you know there's the whole um, the whole wall of sound kind of approach to mixing, uh, which which you know there's not in 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 those kind of tracks there's not a lot of definition, but sometimes you can still get across the. I suppose the energy of the band, the the energy of the track, and uh, but but there's not that you know not that clear definition sometimes between the instrumentation, which you know we, we sort of strive for really a lot of the time. Um, but at the moment, because my, my children at the moment are eleven and fourteen, so whenever we get in the car, it's, it's straight onto Capital <laughs> FM, which is just just pop music wall to wall, and they've got they play like five tracks a day over yeah. and over and over again. Um, and so you're, you're familiar yep. with it, <laughs> familiar with it. And and you know I, when we first started listening to it, I was I was kind of like, oh no, not 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 this track again. But gradually, I've got to the point where I'm listening to it, and and I, I will kind of remark to my wife about the sound of a kick drum, uh, <laughs> and uh, she'll just be sat there going, yeah, I've got absolutely no interest in what you're talking about <laughs> whatsoever. But what I, what I have noticed, uh, and, and yeah, well, it's, it's pretty obvious is the the actual production values on these tracks are just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and, and and if you want to be in analytical mode, you know, listen to Capital <laughs> FM. Yeah, and and yeah, it, it it can get you away from the kind of the, I suppose the, uh, the content of the songs just by listening to the, to, you know, and and, and analysing the production of them because they are phenomenal. The mixes are just amazing on a lot of yeah. those tracks. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of hate for, so, for pop music, obviously for its, I guess, uh, formulaic nature, but it's the, the, the people working on it are absolute top of the industry. So from a mixed perspective, I think you're right. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely, and uh, you know a lot of people that are mixing these tracks. I suppose you know quite a few of them now are kind of artists in their own right. We have these superstar DJs. Yeah. We've got people like DJ Khaled who seems to want to kind of announce his name on everything that he works <laughs> on. Uh, whereas you know, in historically, the producer was always kind of the, the guy, uh, you know, the the unsung hero, the guy at the back uh, of the room, or the, the guy that's not not mentioned on on the record at yeah. all. Uh, and without without that producer, the record just wouldn't sound like it does. Uh, whereas things are kind of changing, and the the, the producers are kind of the artists as well. And there's this massive thing of of collaboration where you, you everyone's kind of sharing a fan base yeah. as well. Uh, which 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 certainly works, you know, in this uh, in this day yeah, and age. Yeah. Um, we touched briefly on your work with uh, theatre before as well, and sound design for theatre. What do you yeah. think? What do you find the main challenges are when working with live productions? I think the main challenges. Um, I think. Um, I suppose it depends on the nature of the production that you you're working on. If it's because a lot. Of, some of the things that I've worked on have been very, very music orientated, but also and and kind of devised and quite avant garde. So it, it it a lot of it is about just making that balance between the maybe some pre recorded sound and live sound and 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 the logistics of that as well, uh, making sure the musicians can hear each other. Um, you know, one of the pieces I worked on recently, we had a nine piece band on the back of a flatbed truck uh, in a in a theatre in Galway. Uh-huh. Um, and then we we did another piece that was all based within a, within a shipping container. So there was the full sound system with inside the container, three musicians in the container, nine musicians outside with a quadraphonic sound system outside the container, uh, and all the musicians were also playing together. So we had to make sure they could all hear each other using you know in ear monitors and all. Sounds that Sounds like of a stuff. nightmare. <laughs> uh, it, it, well, it was a nightmare until we until. You know, again, we had we had a lot of time to kind of think about the the logistics yeah. of it, and just from the you know, just for example, the musicians inside the container were we had uh, double bass string was it double bass strings yeah we had double bass strings attached to the bottom top and bottom of the shipping container, and with a, a metal bridge, and I was actually playing the the strings with a violin bow and changing the pitch with a zippo lighter, so it was all <laughs> tuned. Uh, and it looked it looked a bit weird, but it worked really well. And it actually, for all the people that were inside the container, it felt like you're inside a wow. double bass. Uh, and we also had there was also pre-recorded stuff that was uh, being played inside the container. We also had huge transducer speakers that we screwed to the the floor as well, uh, which uh, which obviously emphasised the, the bass frequencies in there. Um, there was someone else, you know, kind of playing very percussively against the side of it. We were also singing in there. We had uh, we had scaffolding tubes that had been cut very specifically to be in the same key as the resonant frequency of the container as well. So all the music was kind of within the same key and all worked really well. Um, but also then outside we had say these nine mu- nine other musicians that were kicking and hitting the container at one point three of them are jumping up and down on the top of it but they're also getting things like little uh, rubber lollipop type things and rubbing the rubbing the side of the container so we had an, an audience of 25 inside usually an audience of about 200 outside <laughs> with this quadraphonic sound system and and it and it gave two completely different perspectives so the people inside were having one experience the people outside were having a completely different experience yeah. 
Uh, and it's and and what we found is all the people that had watched it outside first really wanted to come inside, um, and 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 vice versa. Everybody wanted to try it from a different oh, perspective because right. some of the stuff that was being played inside, you could hear outside. Some of it you could that that was being played that was happening outside, you couldn't hear it inside. So you know there was, there was a lot of different things going on. But as far as the logistics of the the performers working together. Uh, it was it was uh, an absolute no brainer that we were going to have to use in ear monitors, yeah. and it was just a there was a click track running all the way through it. And one of the one of the absolute genius things, even if I say so myself, was that uh, I, to to keep everyone in time and ready for the the new tracks that were coming in, because there was quite a lot of just just general sound design going on uh, in between the tracks. So I thought to myself, well, why don't I just put my voice into the into the backing track? Uh, and you know, so at certain points, the, there's just sound design going on, where and and the the musicians and actors are moving around different places, and then my voice will come in and say, "Okay, everybody, we're going to go into this track in three, two, one, and that's it. We go right. into it." And and we, we found that every, in fact, all the, the the cast and the crew found that it was a, uh, it was one of those points. As soon as they heard my voice, they found it really, um, really comforting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, to know that I was there, <laughs> and they felt—I think it, I think everyone just felt like somebody was in yeah, charge. Yeah, which <laughs> which <laughs> we we didn't always feel like that. Um, so, and that—that's kind of how we made that work. Um, so, and again, that was more kind of a that was a much more music-based uh, performance. But again, we've done some a lot of other pieces, which which are maybe not devised, maybe not predominantly musical. Um, an example would be we did a, a version of uh, John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men a few years right. ago. And so there's lots of lots of very subtle sound design in that. And obviously as a sound designer, you really want to hear your sound, you want to hear the work that yeah. you've done. And and while you're in that while you're in that week of, of, of technical rehearsals, um, you know, you, you will have everything at a certain level and you'll be sat in a theatre with a laptop and the whole mix on your on your laptop. And uh, and you, you've got it at a certain volume because you want to hear it. You know, I've spent hours and hours working on this, and the director's saying, "Yeah, can we have that down a little bit more? Let's have the sound design down, <laughs> more. down, down, down." <laughs> and absolutely, no, no, it's it's and and obviously, again, it's it's a bit like the the soundtrack to a film or the score. It's got to yeah. be supporting that narrative. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it is about the subtlety of it, and and that's that. I think that's part of working not only in in music production with with bands and artists but also working as part of a, a creative team on on a theater or a film production or anything it's it's all about that final product and the ego has got to be left at the door really uh, and it's about working with other people and uh, accepting what is going to be best for that final product and accepting that other people have opinions mm-hmm. as well uh, and and it is it's, it's you know it's just saying right well what is what is going to be the best for this for this particular production uh, it can't be about m- me and my sound design being the best thing and everyone hearing that if you can't hear that what the what the actors are saying because the sound design is too loud then we've got it wrong yeah. you know that that mix is wrong and that's all there is to it really yeah everybody I've recorded for the show so far has has said that same thing you've got to hang your ego up at the door. I'm interested. Might see. Yeah. I might see if I can get the whole every single one. If I can get everybody to say that without prompting them, <laughs> that'll be the theme. Maybe, maybe, maybe everyone should have just like a a coat yeah. hanger with a sign that says "Please leave ego here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that, uh, that I find interesting. Then you're talking about. Obviously, you were playing the 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 handmade double bass on the shipping container, and you also talked earlier about how you started off as a performer. Do yes, you that's think right, that's yeah. uh, a really important part of learning how to do any type of music? Yeah, definitely. I think because uh, I think you know we we 
as a as a I suppose as a practitioner, I've worked in many different areas with, with musicians, with uh, actors, directors, uh, every every member of a team with you know bigger theatre companies, including marketing and all the other stuff. Uh, but we also worked with film companies, and it's and it's trying to find a way, I suppose, of negotiating those, I suppose, those creative conversations. Um, so from a from a, I can say things from a musician's point of view, but sometimes uh, people just don't understand that, uh, and and you have to start learning other ways of talking about what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least having that fundamental idea of or those fundamental uh, kind of musical ideas about where you where you're coming from and how you can uh, explain that to, to someone else is 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 really important. Also, uh, you get to understand that. Uh, the importance of, of, of very specific musicians on specific instruments. Just as an example, you know, I play, I can play guitar, I play bass, I play mandolin, harmonica, um, and I, you know, I can, I can certainly hold my own playing a, 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 a bass, a bass line with a track. But I would never call myself a bass mm. player because then, because when you do get a proper bass player in, you realise, oh yeah, I'm not a bass player <laughs> at all. You know, they a, a real bass player thinks very differently to what I do. And if I was to put some, if I was to use uh, sample based or sample packs for for putting string parts on, on a on a, a soundtrack or even wind parts, uh, I don't think like a like a violinist thinks. Mm. Yeah, uh, and and I, I you know I think it's I think it's really important to. <clears throat> to allow those musicians to bring their experience and their knowledge to the table. Um, but at least we're, st- we're still talking in the same language. Yeah. But also even as a, even as a musician, having that experience on the, the other side of the glass as well, you know, being that person that's sat in the control in the, in the live room with a musician feeling as a musician, sorry, feeling very alone uh, and very self-conscious of everyone else that's in the control room staring at you and you trying to get your part right. Um, yeah. And, and trying to take direction. Just having that experience, then being on the other side of the glass as a producer, making sure that you know, and I watch this with a lot of a lot of my students, where they'll have someone, a musician in the live room, and they're just not communicating with them. There'll be something maybe technically that goes wrong in the studio. Um, I don't know, maybe the computer crashes, for example, or something like that, and the the musicians just left on their own, having no idea what's yeah. going on. Whereas I know for a fact that if if that was me. I'd want to know that there was a slight problem and th- that it wouldn't be take long to sort out. And uh, you know, maybe maybe I invite them back through to the uh, back through to the, the control room and we'll get it sorted out. So they're not sat in there, starting to feel really self conscious. You know, so it can be a, it can be a quite a daunting place, kind of a recording studio. Yeah, yeah. So so I think having that having that experience as a musician uh, beforehand really helps in that context as well. Have that that understanding and the empathy that you need. When when working with uh, with with other musicians, right. That's a, a nice point to to bring me on to my next question, which I promised I would ask every guest because everybody's always asking me. Okay. Uh, any pieces of software or hardware that you rely on the most? What gear are you using? Uh, my main software that I use is Pro Tools. I'm a, an absolute Pro Tools fan. Uh, I have done I've done for the last nearly twenty years, and uh, purely for editing reasons. You know, I work a lot with with real audio, real real instruments, real musicians, and when it comes to editing, I think Pro Tools just wipes the floor with everything, mm-hmm. uh, bar none. Um, but saying that, you know, if if somebody came to me and said, right, well, I'm you know I'm, I'm 
I wanted to set up home studio and I want loads of different kind of synth sounds and be able to do that. I would I would push them in the in the direction of logic. Yeah. Um, that's you know I think they're all equally as good as each other. Um, in fact, I was in the studio session the other night and one of my third years came into the studio session and uh, and there, you know, there's I think it was just a a pianist vocalist uh, playing piano and a bass player and there was a, a lot of second years in there in this session but the third year came in and it, just general conversation he said what what do you think size them you know he's looking at all the equipment he said what's the most important thing in this studio side you know uh, trying to get me to kind of make a decision on whether it's the desk or some outboard equipment i said well to be honest whatever's coming out of her mouth in that <laughs> live room is the most important yeah. thing yeah uh, ultimately everything is just it's just equipment it's just stuff <clears throat> without a without a good musician without a good piece of music without a good singer without a track None of it matters, does it? <laughs> really? Um, so yeah. So, but Pro Tools is is the one that I use. I'm just so used to it. I'm I'm, I'm fast on it. Uh, I can I can edit very quickly with it. I can mix with it. Um, in terms of the the plugins, I'm not. I don't really care about plugins. I'm quite happy with all the Pro Tools ones. Um, I do have a couple of um, hardware emulation plugins. So I've got a, a 1076 um, EQ plugin. I've got. Uh, What's the uh, no sorry ten seventy three, eleven seventy three. I always get confused <laughs> with numbers. I've got an eleven seventy three uh, EQ plugin and I've got a ten seventy six um, compressor plugin. But ultimately, I'm happy with the stuff in Pro Tools. The only thing that I I, I use differently to the Pro Tools stuff, um, if you know, if I'm really really pushed, is reverb. I've got to have a good reverb. Uh, I like to use the Waves IR reverb, uh, convolution reverb. I'm really into making my own reverbs All right. uh, using impulse responses, but I just find that the the options that I get there's one particular one particular reverb that I do keep coming back to. If I've got a quite a I don't know quite a spacey kind of ballad track that needs a, a really thick reverb, I've got a, a, a an impulse response of an EMT 250, which is like one of the first digital reverbs, but I just love it. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> um, so that's 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 the kind of what's one of one of my go-to ones. If, I, if I've got the space for it, that's one of my go-to plugins. Um, but I, I, I love convolution reverbs. I love the fact that I can go into a space, I can go into a church, and capture an impulse response in there, and then use that within my productions. Uh, and again, that's good for sound design as well. If you're trying to and and you know if you're trying to create a space within a film within even within a within a, a theater production you can actually literally re recreate those spaces by using impulse responses and it's something that uh, once once i found out about it i was hooked completely uh, and i teach that to my students a lot as well <clears throat> amazing okay we're coming up to the hour so one final question um what's the best yeah. piece of advice you could give someone who wants to get involved in the music for uh, music for media or theater world anyone starting out I think the best thing is uh, there's a few things, and it, and it wouldn't be just kind of one piece of advice. And I'm sure that I'm sure that I could go on forever <laughs> talking about this. But I think I think the main thing is throw yourself into it, and yet I think you've got to live it. You've got to really learn your craft uh, and the area that you want to work in. I think also do the research, do you know, find out about the the area that you're going to work in in a historical sense, in a contemporary sense as well, so that you can speak in the same language as those people that you're collaborating with. Um, and I think also you know, 
even if you have to copy other people's ideas in terms of in terms of different method methodologies for whether it's recording sound or doing sound design find different ways of inspiring those people around you because if you can inspire people if you can build those build those relationships and and come out with you know really successful projects and successful products it's a bit of a no-brainer for them to go back to you the next time they need some work doing so I think I think definitely try and find you know ways of inspiring people around mm. you, and you know I think I think you're always expected as a as a as a practitioner in the creative arts to be someone who can take something to the table. Make sure you've always got something to take to the table. I think that's that's my advice. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Sai. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks. I hope you learned plenty from that episode. For more tips, head over to my website soundtrack.academy and be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter. Once again, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. It'll help me continue to convince these amazing guests to join us. Thank you for listening, and wherever you are in the world, I hope your day is filled with creativity.